0: Snap Studios. When you go to bed at night, you lock the door for a reason. But what if whomever is trying to get in doesn't need a key? From Snap Judgment's Underground Lair, you're listening to Spooked. Stay tuned. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. From KQED and PRX, you've crossed over to Spoot. I remember when he came to our house. I hear him say he can fix the septic system something and my mother tells him that he should maybe come back when my father's home from the hallway I see him tall wiry red faced red haired he says sure he can come back later of course just want you to know I never had no problems with colored living here no matter what the neighbors say I always thought colored women were the most beautiful women on the earth and you know You know, I'd be willing to cut a deal. Cut a deal to get some of this work done you need around here. Cut a deal to find colored women like yourself, if you know what I mean. If you know what I mean. I step out then, from the hallway. He draws back, surprised. I walk past both him and my mother into the kitchen. I open the silverware drawer and I pull out a knife. I will it to be sharper than the butter knife it is, but it is steel. And I will stab this red-headed man with it. I am only nine, but I will stab this man. Or I will break glass. Or I will find fire. I know this. Like I know the sky is blue. Like I know the taste of a summer peach. I know I will kill this person. I've just been drinking a glass of milk. Washing the Flintstones. But I know with utter certainty that I will kill him or perish in the process. Almost as if it has already happened. I know it. I walk back into the living room, clutching the knife tight in my fist. Maybe he's already decided to take his leave. Or maybe he sees the cold rage in a nine-year-old boy's eyes. He places his cap back on his head, nods to my mother, and backs out the front door. From the window... I see him get into his truck and pull off. I throw the knife into the sink, walk past my mother, go back into my room, but the anger doesn't subside. The rage doesn't leak away, instead it builds. My skin feels hot. My jaw clutched tight. I see myself ending the red-faced man in different ways With knives and guns and scarves and sticks and shards And I wonder If In another world There waits another me Sitting in his room Not clenched Not furious But relaxed Sitting in the same chair after washing the blood from a butter knife, Spook Star. first story takes us to New Mexico, which, because it was the land of many, many battles, is now a land of many, many spirits. But there's one ghost in particular, she's not a ghost of a war battle. She's a ghost of a 19th century Jewish immigrant mother. And she's made one hell of a name for herself. Spoot.
1: So the ghost is named Julia Staub, and she's my great-great-grandmother. We started hearing stories about a pale woman in a black Victorian gown who kept being seen by guests at the hotel that had once been her home. Um, The hotel is called La Posada. I wanted to know just what she was like. So I went on a quest to find all the information I possibly could about my great-great-grandmother. I think the idea was just anything and everything and, and trying to approach it from any angle I could, which included newspaper, reading old newspapers, doing oral histories with family members. Um, I, I tried very hard to, <laughs> to interact with her. I. Started with a tarot card reader, then um, a phone psychic. I went to a psychic colony in Florida. I um, met with a clairvoyant in the library of her house. I, I even ate a marijuana cookie, hoping hoping to open myself up to communing with <laughs> with the, the beyond. Um, and that didn't go well at all. I never had the encounter with Julia's ghost that I so wanted to have. She never spoke to me but I've spoken to a lot of people who've had interactions with her. And the one that struck me the most was a man named Jonathan, who had worked as a concierge there.
2: Well, a concierge is essentially the ambassador of the hotel. What we do is, um, many people think we just make dinner reservations for people, but we don't. We do a whole bunch of things. I considered it an honor. La Posada has such a good reputation in town. It was considered a badge of honor to work at La Posada. I was hesitant at first. Everyone knew about um, Julia Staub and how she was still there in the house, and I was just hesitant.
1: Julia's house that's now La Posada Hotel was built by her husband Abraham um, in 1883. And it was an elegant Victorian with a mansard roof, ornate brasswork, beautiful mahogany woodwork. It's all still there. Abraham was the richest man in the territory at that point, so the family always hosted lots of events in the house. They had salons and lectures, sewing circles. According to newspapers from the time, Julia was often the hostess at those events.
2: That house was the center of the social scene, and her entire focus was on the house, keeping it up, entertaining.
1: That was her life. She was a very busy woman. She had seven kids, and all of them survived to adulthood. But she then had an eighth baby, who died at three weeks old. They say that after Julia lost her baby, her hair turned white overnight. I found a bunch of newspaper articles showing that for a few years after the baby died, Julia was still out in Santa Fe doing things, going to parties, but then she spiraled into a severe depression. In 1893, after years of trying to get better, she went into her room, and there's no evidence that she was ever seen in public after that. And one thing that really struck me was her daughter got married in 1894, and The newspaper article says that Julia wasn't able to come because of her health. So she was in her room at the top of the stairs and her daughter was getting married and she was unable to come down to be there. She died in that room in 1896.
2: I think I was working there hmm, three or six months or something like that. John, would you take these people up to see Julia's room? And I said, oh, no, please, no, I don't want to go up. And as I go up the stairs, about halfway up, it's like I f- hit this wall of well, actually, like magnets, two magnets of the same pole trying to, uh, you, and you want you're trying to make them t- attach, but they won't. There was like that pushback that I felt, and I just, I felt, and I said, well, it's just me, because I set myself, I set myself up with a fear. But as I continued to walk up, I started getting dizzy. I started sweating. My ears clogged up. And so we get to the top landing. And we're walking over toward Julia's room, which was at the, from the landing you go to the left. I had to stand against the wall because I was starting to really get dizzy and my knees were starting to buckle. And I'm talking to them, telling them a bit about Julia and the, the uh, haunts from the stories that I had heard. you know, The legend of Julia Staub. But by this time, I was really starting to slide down the wall. And I said to myself, i got to get them out of here because I have to get out of here. And by the time I got down to the bottom of the steps, everything just went away. All of that feeling just left me, like, immediately. And I said to myself, whoa, she was there. I really felt her.
1: There's, you know, bartenders who said that she would, like, throw glasses across the room... I was told that the cleaning staff would not go into the room alone because at one point a a cleaner got locked in there by Julia, apparently.
2: The second time I went up, which was, I think, a little later that week, I went up. Same thing happened again, a little bit stronger this time. It was almost like I couldn't um, breathe properly because everything seemed so tight. I got to cut this one really short because I am not wanted up here. And then I realized, I said to myself, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know exactly what's going on. I got up from my desk and I walked over to the bottom of the stairs. And I looked up and I just said, Julia, I know that was you. I will make this deal with you, Julia. And I will keep this promise to you. Anytime I have to come up to tell people and show people about you and your room, and I will let you know in advance I walked I think I took two steps up and I said this is the other thing I will do Julia I have a pin it's a brooch actually that I had bought for my mother to give my mother and it's a it's a a rosetta design it's mother of pearl with silver Julia liked roses and I said I will wear this brooch on my lapel and you still (laughs) hold roost over the, over, the, over the house. And that'll be an introduction to, to really talking about you. But I promise you, Julia, I will wear this every single day I come to work. And I did.
1: All the ghost stories said that she was fond of roses and flowers. And all the psychics and mediums I spoke with when I was trying to learn more about her uh, also mentioned that she loved flowers. Perhaps that was just a Victorian thing. I don't know.
2: Husband and wife with their two kids had come. They just stayed, I think they were there for two days. Uh, they had heard about uh, Julia, and the son had a little rose in his hand. One of those little inexpensive 99-cent roses that you get at the uh, convenience stores, at the, at the service stations or wherever. And the poor thing looked like it was on its last gasp of breath. And he wanted to put it in Julia's room. And I told him to go put it in the corner on the, on the nightstand. So he did, and the poor rose, when he put it down, it just turned, and the, the butt of the rose just turned into the corner, like it was like it was being a punished child. I said, but you know, Julia's going to love it, because it's, it's from you. Well, um, that was in the afternoon. The next day, they were having breakfast. The boy came over, running over, and he says, can we see the rose? Can we see the rose? I went into the room. I wasn't expecting much of that rose. Not much at all. It turned out to be the most gorgeous, crimson red, healthy rose I had ever seen in my life and I've still not to this day ever seen a rose like that. I went down and I told the mother I said, you've got to come up and see this. You've got to come up and see this. I'll tell them to just leave your food where it is and heat it up when you come back. They all came up. Dad, Mom, and the kids. The mother's expression on her face was like, oh no, impossible. And the son was just so happy, he was bouncing with her, and so was the daughter. I said, that's Julia.
1: There's been lots of stories about um, Julia, you know, chandeliers swaying, lights flickering, and um, a, a few people have described her ripping the covers off of them while they're sleeping. But... I haven't met anybody who actually said they had conversations with her. In terms of having ongoing relationships and conversations, Jonathan's the only person that I have found.
2: The night that I did see Julia, or she let allowed me to uh, experience her, it was Halloween. I never liked Halloween when I was a kid. and I still don't care for Halloween. But it was Halloween. I was sitting at my concierge desk, and because people were coming in and out, wanting to know Julia, 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 Julia and I was getting more and more anxious the anxiety was just building and the tension was building up in me and I'm saying why is this going on? I don't understand it." and then I realized it was because of Julia and I went over to the stairs and I said Julia I know I'm feeling your, your anxiety about this. You don't like this. It happens year after year after year. And nobody pays any attention to how you might feel about this. Well, I care. You don't have to show yourself to anybody because everybody is expecting her to show herself. You don't have to show yourself to anyone. I could feel that she, she was present there and she was on the stairs. But I just talked to her, focusing my energies in my, in my mind, toward her, talking to her. And, uh, you know, I adore you, Julia. I love you much. And um, I just want you to rest. I want your spirit to rest. But as I started to walk down, I looked at the window, and the reflection was Julia standing right behind me in the corner. In her dark robe, her, her Victorian black black cloak. I could see that there was a face under there, but I couldn't see because it was dark. But I did see her paper white white hair just coming out from underneath the cloak's hood. And I smiled and I just said, thank you, Julia. Thank you so much. I got down to the bottom of the stairs and there was a there was no one in the bar. The bartender was there and there was a cocktail waitress there. And they looked at me and they said, no, because I never said, I haven't said this, but I'm an African-American or a black person. And the cocktail waitress said, oh, my God, I've never seen a black person look so pale in my life. bartender looked at me and says, yeah, are you OK? And then they both looked at each other and they said, Julia, oh, Julia. And they dashed out of there. She lets herself be known when she wants herself to be known. Julia was a very, very caring person, very caring, very alone person. I'm not going to say lonely, but she was very much alone. Um, and um, the fact that I took the time to talk to her on many occasions and just be with her, uh, with her spirit, uh, Julia and I became very close
1: I felt I felt sad for her. I in her family there was a lot of depression. Her children um two of them took their lives. Of course I would like Julia to be happy and at rest. And so the fact that she's found a friend in Jonathan uh, I mean I guess it makes me feel better that that Julia has a friend.
2: Well, as I said, Julia and I became we had started to become very close so that I could I could more or less read The mood that her spirit was in there was the one time when they did the most recent remodeling that was where i could feel the anxiety starting to build it's her home and would you like some strangers coming into your home and just start moving things around and changing things i don't think so and that's the same thing with julia she's holding on to what she knows I could feel the anxiety starting to build. And it was building over a few days until one day when the uh, operations manager came into the lobby with two of the the interior designers. And uh, I looked at them, and it was like a red flag in front of a bull. And I was like, I I don't even know, I don't even remember coming out from behind my desk. And I went over there, and I just more or less verbally attacked them And I could hear myself talking. And I'm saying to myself, what am I saying? Why am I talking? What's going on? Why am I so angry at these people? For that moment in time, I was essentially possessed. I was possessed. It scared me a bit. It really scared me a bit because it just happened so quickly. It came over so fast, and I had to fight it. And then I realized my fist was in a clench. And I'm going, I, I backed off. I had to force myself to back off. Because I remember turning around and sitting back down on the desk, and I was absolutely exhausted. And I realized when I started clearing, my head started clearing. And I said, Julia, Julia, no, Julia, this was wrong. Julia, this was wrong. I understand why you did it. I know why you did it. And I understand. No, this is wrong. No, we have to, I have to. Julia, I have to cut ties with you. This has to stop. And it will stop. I can't do this anymore. I love you dearly. I'm, 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 I'm stopping this right now. And I did. Because ironically, the very next day, I got a call from another hotel. Jonathan we'd like to have you up here with us. Would you mind coming up and talking to us and see if you'd like to come work with us? And I said, yes.
1: I recognize I'm not the kind of person who's able to open herself up to these kinds of communication with with the dead or with what we think are the dead. Um, and I wish in some ways that I was, but... Finally, when I was ready, I decided I would spend the night in Julia's room, and went and put my bags up there, went out to dinner, came back, and, uh, and got ready for bed. I was really nervous. And I at one point, I, did, I thought I was still awake, and I dreamt that Julia was pulling the covers off of me. And I you know sat straight up, and the covers were still on me. <laughs> so I had fallen asleep. And right before dawn, I opened my eyes, and on the wall in front of me, there were green lights. They were moving. I first thought they were like uh, smoke detector lights or movement sensors, but they kept moving around sort of in a weird way, and then they went faster and faster. And just as I was about to sit up and look closer, they turned red and orange and zipped off to the right and disappeared. When I checked out, the woman at reception asked me if I'd seen anything or had any experiences in Julia's room, and I told her what happened. And she told me that a woman in room 310 had also woken in the night to dancing lights in her room. That was it. That was all I saw. That was my only encounter with Julia Staub. There were no conversations like Jonathan had. I saw no visions. I didn't see a sad lady in a Victorian dress. I didn't feel scared at all. I felt touched, if that makes any sense. It felt very real to me, and it really did feel to me as if Julia had come to say hi.
2: I still have that brooch, um, but every time I do look at it in my in my jewelry box, I do touch it, and I offer a prayer to Julia that she's content, and, and I ask that... Uh, her spirit be resting.
0: Thank you, Jonathan Mason and Hannah Nordhaus for sharing your story at The Spooked. And if you want to know more about the life and times of Julia Staub, check out Hannah's book, American Ghost, for the link. On our website, spookpodcast.org. Now, when we return, some young people discover that just because a place looks empty doesn't mean it's necessarily so. In just a moment... Welcome back to Spooked Now our next story Comes from our friends at Endless Thread A podcast from WBUR and Reddit That tells stories of the so-called front page of the internet And at Halloween time They dive deep into the scary stories that folks share And this story This one Comes to us from a Redditor named Alex When Alex was a kid He and his best friend Ryan they like to make trouble. Spook.
3: Ryan. I I met him when I was in 3rd grade actually. We met riding bikes. He was outside riding his bike, I was outside riding my bike, so we just grew up uh, just trying to make huge fireworks, shooting fireworks out of pipes and graffiti on the, on the light poles, trying to climb up them and throwing ropes over them and making swings. And then eventually we got into exploring abandoned homes. My name's uh, Ryan Date.
0: We
4: used to go around the old neighborhoods of, I don't know, urban exploring is what they call it now.
3: So the story takes place in Modesto, California, the city I grew up in during the housing crisis. Here and there, you'd see abandoned houses.
4: New houses or houses that they were fixing or pretty much like abandoned houses, stuff like that.
3: Uh, some of them looked like they were hit pretty hard. Other kids and gang members would tag it up and break into it and just smash it to pieces. That place wasn't too far
4: from school over there. We walked by a lot. We finally went there, and then just curiosity kind of drug us that way, I guess.
3: So the house looked like it still hadn't been mowed in a little while. Grass was pretty tall. Why not? Let's let's go inside. I had this really crappy flip phone. Uh, That was our only source of light. And I set the thing to full brightness. We reached the other side of the house and we could hear a bunch of banging in the other room. There was definitely someone in the house. Like, there had to be someone else in there with us. So me and Ryan kind of just sat there staring at each other, kind of scared, because we didn't know what the hell that was. And maybe there was someone squatting in the house. We thought some homeless person might have been in there trying to scare us out. And we were going to find him because he's he's scaring us. So we we did a full search of the house. So we went, we looked around, we didn't see anything. We checked every room, every little space, nothing there. So after we did a full round through the house, we found ourselves back in the kitchen. And... We were just too scared to go any further. So we, we left through that back door, and we started to make our way
5: home. My name's AJ. Alex is a friend, and Ryan, Ryan's my brother. Ryan and Alex came back one night with a story and was like, dude, this crazy stuff happened. You know, of course, I'm like, yeah, right. But uh, and they're like, yeah, dude, let, let's, go, let's go look at it. We'll show you. And it's like, okay, so I'll go and look, just hang out with them and you know, walk over there to the house, and... I don't know why we were attracted to that place, but we decided to go back. You tell a kid not to poke a
4: beehive, and what's the kid gonna go do? He's gonna go poke a beehive. At that point, then we were actually looking for something, you know, wanted to see what we might
3: see. We make our way to the kitchen,
5: and we're all just sitting there chatting. I feel like a tugging on the back of my shirt... And just like, you know, just like thinking it's one of the guys, I'm like, hey, dude, knock it off. Well, there's nobody behind me. I'm realizing that everybody's in front of me. And then it, it like pulls the back of my shirt and I fall down. At first I thought he tripped, but, you know, there's nothing on the floor. I
4: just remember him going right through the, right through those doors, like the doors
3: open. And he just kind of went into the room. To me, it looked like someone pulled him into the room. Like they wrapped a, a rope around his waist and whatever it was, just yanked him into the room. He he was so scared. Like he was hanging onto the walls for dear life. Like he he was just smacking everything, just trying to hold on to something, but it, it pulled him hard and he couldn't hold on to the, the
5: doorframe. So he fell on his butt. And as soon as he fell on his butt, he jumped up. And I'm like, okay, that's that's when I was like, yeah, it's it's time to go. As we were leaving, I just had this burning pain in my back.
4: I lifted up my shirt, and I guess there was three long scratch marks from like
5: the top of my neck all the way down to my lower back. It looked like somebody with like three fingers or a claw or something. Well, I'm gonna say it looked like somebody with three fingers just like scratched him from his shoulder all the way down to like his his hip. They were pretty deep, but they were really thin.
3: It drew blood. Honestly, at that
4: point, I did think it was something like paranormal, something ghostly
5: because no one else was there. No one else did it. I mean, if someone does that, you know, you're gonna notice. Uh, at that moment, honestly, we were, like, really scared and, you know, kind of pretty much just, like, telling ourselves we're not going to go back there.
3: And then we started making our way home further, and then Ryan notices his pocket knife is missing. And he was like, I, I got to go back for that. Uh, and, you know, I'm kind of, I was pissed off. I was like, dude, how did you how did you lose
5: that? You know, at first we were just like, we'll come back in the morning or, or it's gone. He was just like, no, nah, dude, that's my favorite knife. It was a fold-out. It was about, I'm going to say, five inches long. It was a fold-out knife. It had a round hilt
4: with a little brass end, like a little brass or gold end on each side. It was sentimental to me. It was something that was given to me and I cared about at the time.
3: So, I, of course, I'm not going to let him go back in there alone. So we, go, we both go back. that's when the banging got really loud. Uh, it just sounded like someone was thrashing inside the walls.
5: And we could hear it all throughout the house. And then every room we looked in, like there was no, I mean there was nothing, no evidence of his knife anywhere, like uh, no hallway, no bedroom, it was it was gone.
3: And then finally we, we were we make our way to the back room. And as we're going down the hall, you have to pass the front door. And as we creep up on the front door, you could see the big-ass knife, like someone with all their, all their might shoved it into the, the door. And the knife was just sticking in the door. And, you know, it was just stuck in the wood. We thought, okay, yeah, that's, that's, that's
4: uh, malicious. something evil or something we were just annoying,
3: so we grabbed the knife, and I, I we went home, and I never went back after that.
4: At one point, I think it was used as like a care home or something
3: like that. It was vacant for a while uh until I'm not sure who moved in, but they had some old lady there, and she was creepy. Like, she, her hair was really thin, and she kind of looked always like she was in a daze sitting on her porch. And I'm not sure if I found her creepy as hell because I knew what was going on in the house, or if she was just genuinely creepy. Um, but I, every time I walked by the house, I always stared at it. And, and sometimes she'd be outside staring back at me.
0: AJ and Ryan for sharing the story of the spook, and thanks to Ben Brock Johnson and the folks at Endless Thread for sending that tale our way. Check out their show for incredible stories from Reddit. Apologies, good Lord. We're ripping apart the curtain, separating the living from the dead. And if you dig it, let somebody know. Spookpodcast.org. And if you love storytelling from the bright light of day, check out our sister podcast, SnapJudgment.org. That's storytelling with the beat. Spook was brought to you by that cold touch in the middle of the night. And Mark Ristich. Anna Sussman, Eliza Smith, the magical musical soundscape through this journey was created by Renzo Gorio, by Leon Morimoto, and Pat Masidi Miller. Remember this, temptation lurks. There are those who would have you taste this, touch that, smell this, and that's all well and good. Till if their intoxicants and seductions and perversities lead you astray, but whatever you do you go never ever never ever never never ever turn out the lights this story was summoned in the dark
1: of night by kqed and prx